Thank you, Nina, for that beautiful piano selection. It really lifted our hearts in contemplation of the greatness of the God that we serve and the beauty of nature. On a bitterly cold evening, a poverty-stricken man wearing nearly threadbare clothing and carrying an old violin entered into a small music shop on a side street in London. I'm starving, he said to the storekeeper, Mr. Betts. Please buy buy this violin so that I can get some food to eat. Mr. Betts looked at the old violin and offered him a guinea, about five dollars at that point in time. The old man accepted the offer, turned around and uh, shuffled his way out into the cold, dark night. Mr. Betts took the instrument into his hands and began to tune it. And then he drew the bow across the strings. And he heard this rich, melodious tone come from that violin. His curiosity was aroused and he reached for a candle. And he brought it closer to the mouth of the violin. And there he read the name Antonio Stradivari, 1704. Mr. Betts held in his hands the Stradivarius violin that had been missing for nearly 100 years. People had rummaged through their attics and through all the music stores of Europe looking for this missing Stradivarius violin. And here Mr. Betts held it in his hands. Needless to say, the Stradivarius was sold a number of times, bringing as much as $100,000. The penniless owner had wealth at his fingertips, but was not aware of it. He was living on the brink of starvation while in possession of fabulous wealth. Many in our world are unaware of the fabulous wealth that is available in this salvation found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in his second epistle to the Corinthians. If you take your Bible and meet me there. The second epistle to the Corinthians Chapter 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become Rich. 
that we in our poverty might become rich in him. Paul writes that he became poor. And I asked myself the question, how did Jesus become poor? Well, he became poor when he laid aside his his royal robes. When he laid aside his divine attributes and came into this sin-darkened world. And he took on our corporate humanity. And if that wasn't enough, he submitted himself to death on a cross. The most cruel and inhumane death ever devised by man. And if that wasn't enough, he gives to us his righteousness. He imputes to us his righteousness in place of our filthy rags. What an exchange. We bring our filthy rags and he surrounds us with his robe of righteousness. And I say, what an exchange. And don't listen to the devil who tells you, listen, you can't come to Jesus the way you are. You need to spruce yourself up. You need to fix yourself up. You know, your hang-ups, your fears, your addictions, all of those things that are in your life. Jesus won't accept you with all of that. You've got to work on that, and then you come to Jesus. Now, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, all who come to him are in no wise cast out. That's a wonderful promise. That no matter our situation, no matter what we're going through, no matter our trials and afflictions and our addictions, we can come to Jesus just as we are. That's the invitation. Come. Come, Jesus says. All ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I used to think that was referring to people that are working real hard and need physical rest. That's not what that verse is talking about. He was telling to the Jews, listen, don't try to save yourself by your good works. That's not going to work. You just come to me and I'll give you that rest that passes understanding. That's the peace that Jesus wants to give to everyone. In this congregation, I'm sure there are those that are going through difficult times, through some real trials, some difficulties, stressful situations. Jesus says, come. He who comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And if that wasn't enough, he gives us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes the changes in our lives. We just yield our lives to Jesus. We just surrender our lives to Jesus. We just come to Jesus as we are. And then the Holy Spirit makes those changes that are necessary. But we need to yield. We need to surrender. Self has to die. Self has to be crucified. And then the Holy Spirit can do his work and change our character so that it becomes Christ-like. The only thing that we can take to heaven, beloved, is character. 
And God is waiting for his people to allow him through the Holy Spirit to make those changes in those characters so that Jesus can come. We're told that Jesus is waiting until his character is reproduced in his people. And then he will come. He will come. And if that wasn't enough, beloved, when we come to Jesus and he imputes his righteousness to us, he adopts us into the royal family as sons and daughters of God with all the rights and privileges. Can you imagine to be adopted into the family of God? Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you and to me. And if that wasn't enough, he gives us heaven's highest gift in the person of the Holy Spirit. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. And we'll be looking at chapter 1 and verse 8. Very familiar passage of scripture. Jesus is doing the speaking. The book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And he said to them, that is his disciples, his believers. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem into all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In the little book entitled Our High Calling, Ellen White writes in page 150, In the gift of the Spirit, Jesus gave to man the highest good that heaven could bestow. Did you know that? In the gift of the Spirit, Jesus gave to man the highest good that heaven could bestow. And so I ask you a question this morning. It may seem trite. I don't mean it to be trite, but it's something to think about. How important is the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine? How important is the gift of the Spirit in your life and mine? Desire of Ages. Page 671. The Holy Spirit was the highest of all gifts that Jesus could solicit from his Father for the exaltation of his people. Exaltation of his people. You know, I pondered that when I read that. And then I was reading the other night. That when we were created, when, when God created the human family, beginning with Adam and Eve, of course, they were created a little lower than the angels. But did you know that the redeemed will be higher than the angels? That's what it means there when Jesus said that, well, I would say Ellen White said here that um, he would solicit from his father for the exaltation of his people will be higher than the angels of heaven. The Spirit was given as a regenerating agent. And then listen to the rest of this sentence. I almost fell off my chair when I read it. And without this, that is the Holy Spirit as a regenerating agent. Without this, the sacrifice of Christ would be of no avail. I was stunned when I read that. That the sacrifice of Christ would be of no avail. 
without their regenerating agent of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, how could this be? Ah, then the Holy Spirit put into my mind that when Jesus came to this world, he gave up his omnipresence. The ability to be everywhere at one time. So without the Holy Spirit who can be everywhere at one time, and he speaks not of himself, but of Jesus and his sacrifice on Calvary's cross, he makes effective the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He brings to remembrance in our minds the words of Jesus, the works of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that does that for us. That's why he's so important in our lives. He makes all the difference. And without him, the sacrifice of Christ would be of no avail. And without the gift of the Holy Spirit, beloved, in his fullness, the mission that Jesus gave to his followers would be a mission impossible. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, if you would. Let's read these words that we've read numerous times. Matthew 28. The last chapter of that gospel, Matthew 28, looking at verse 19 and 20. Jesus told his disciples and his followers, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Beloved, without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Jesus' followers, that was a mission impossible. That was a mission impossible. They didn't have radio. <laughs> they didn't have television. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have satellites. They didn't have computers. They didn't have cell phones, iPods, I, what's the other one? iPads, iPods, the printed page. They didn't have all of those things that we have today. When Jesus told them to go out throughout the world preaching the everlasting gospel, that was a mission impossible. Ah, but when the day of Pentecost came and the presence of the Holy Spirit came upon him, them in his fullness, they turned the world upside down for Jesus. Did you know in one generation... In one generation, the followers of Jesus turned the world upside down. The gospel had been preached to all the inhabitable world at that time. In one generation. That's what the Holy Spirit can do when he abides and works in your heart and mind. And that brings me to the question, do we appreciate this promised gift as we should? Do we truly appreciate this gift as we should. Testimonies to Ministers, page 174. Prophecies have been dealt upon. Doctrines have been expounded. But that which is essential to the church, in order that they may grow in spiritual strength and efficiency, in order that the preaching may carry conviction with it, and souls be converted to God, has been largely left out of ministerial effort. Testimonies, Volume 8, 21. It is the absence of the Spirit that makes the gospel ministry so powerless. You see, when we go out in our own strength, 
when we share the truths of the Bible, when we teach them, when we preach them, without the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, they're just words. They have no effect. But when we're endowed with the Holy Spirit, those words have convicting power. Hearts are moved, constrained, and decisions are made for Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to, to the book of Acts, if you would. I want to read just a few more verses in the book of Acts, chapter 1. There's an interesting word here that I want to dwell on for pretty much the rest of the time that we have here together. Notice uh, book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning with verse 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. That's the word that I want to emphasize here, wait. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Bible's use of the word wait is very significant, I feel, and, and very important. There are many uh, references that I could use, but I just want to mention two, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 40, verse 31, But they that wait upon the Lord, what, what, what happens when we wait upon the Lord? Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be afraid. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait. Too many times we want to get ahead of God. In our thoughts and in our plans, in our programs. The Bible says to wait upon the Lord. And if you wait, he'll renew your strength. And then Jesus said in Luke 24, 49, wait for the promise of my father. They were to wait. Some translations read tarry or stay. But in others it says wait. So I asked myself the question. Why were they to wait? Why did Jesus tell them to wait in Jerusalem? Well let me share a number of reasons why I felt they were to wait. Number one. They weren't ready to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were not ready for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They were in need of personal preparation. You see, there were things in their lives that hindered the cause of God. These needed to be removed before God could use them effectively. And could it be that may be a reason why we are not endowed as we should with the Holy Spirit because there are things in our lives that need to be attended to that we have not made right with God. Could it be? Could it be? Sins needed to be repented of and confessed. And so they waited during this 10-day period from the resurrection of Christ to the day of Pentecost. And Ellen White writes in Acts of the Apostles, page 36, As the disciples waited for the fulfillment of the promise, they humbled themselves, humbled their hearts in true repentance and confessed their unbelief. You see, there had been a striving for supremacy. Who was going to be first in the kingdom of God? Who would sit to the right of Jesus or on his left? That's what they were talking about. That's what they debated about. There was that struggle among them for supremacy. 
But during this 10-day period of waiting, they confessed their sins one to another. They made things right. Indeed. What was true of the early disciples is true of us today. It's time, beloved. It's high time for true revival and reformation in our lives. We need a revival and reformation in our lives. And may it start with me. May it start with you. We can't wait to, to see till everybody joins along. No, no, no. It begins with each individual. A true revival and reformation. Review and Herald. March 22. Notice the date. 1887. One year before the General Conference session in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One year before, Ellen White wrote, A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this, that is, that revival of godliness, should be our first work. A revival of godliness among us. Selected Messages, Book 1, 191. Today, she writes, not tomorrow. Today, you are to give yourselves to God that he may make of you vessels unto honor and meet for his service. Today, you are to give yourselves to God that you may be emptied of self, emptied of envy, jealousy, evil surmising, strife, everything that shall be dishonoring God. It is our work today to yield our souls to Christ that we may be fitted for the time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord and fitted for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need today, Lord. Put aside our differences, our jealousies, our, 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 our envy. All that should be put aside. We're told we should seek for it. We should Pray for it. We should believe for it. We must have it. And she says, and heaven is waiting to bestow it. Evangelism, page 701. Seek for it. Pray for it. Believe for it. We must have it. Heaven is waiting to bestow it. And the last reason why they were to wait in Jerusalem, Acts of the Apostles, page 38 and 39, Christ's ascension to heaven was a signal that his followers were to receive the promised blessing. For this they were to wait, there's that word, before they entered upon their work. When Christ passed within the heavenly gates, he was enthroned amidst the adoration of the angels. As soon as this ceremony was completed, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples in rich currents. And Christ was indeed glorified even with the glory which he had had with the Father from all eternity. The Pentecostal outpouring was heaven's communication that the Redeemer's inauguration was completed. When the day of Pentecost came, the Bible says there was a sound, like the sound of a mighty wind that struck this house without and within. And they were endowed with the Holy Spirit in His fullness and there were like tongues of fire over their heads, indicative of the zeal with which they were to go and preach and teach the everlasting gospel. Those flames represented the Holy Spirit's power and presence in their lives. 
and they turned the world upside down for Jesus in one generation. That's what can happen when one is endowed with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Well, that brings us to really the final question. How are we, you and I, to wait for the promised gift? How are you and I to wait for the promised gift? Are we seeking the Lord? Are we truly seeking the Lord? Are we putting aside our differences? Are we in one accord? You know, Ellen White says, press together, press together, press together. Are we pressing together? Are we living in harmony with one another? Are we in one accord? Are we pleading? Are we seeking? Are we praying for the enabling presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? We must have the latter rain power of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we are to meet the crisis that's just before us. Beloved, a crisis, a terrible crisis, the crisis of the ages is just before us and we will not stand unless we're endowed with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He will make all the difference in the world. You know, when I was a boy and I heard people talking about last day events, oh, that just brought such a chill into my life. I was so afraid. Oh, I, I thought, I hope I'm not alive when, when that time comes. That was a lack of faith on my part. Beloved, when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you are unafraid. You are strong and courageous because of the Holy Spirit in your life. You will face what you have to face with His presence and power. And that makes all the difference of the world. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 158. We should pray as earnestly for the descent of the Holy Spirit as the disciples prayed on the day of Pentecost. Now listen. If they needed it at that time, we need it even more. And I thought to myself, well, if they needed it back there, and she says we need it more today, why? It's because we stand just before the crisis of the ages, and we must have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Testimony 7, 285. God's people will not endure the test. What test? The crisis. That's before us. God's people will not endure the test unless there is revival and reformation. Evangelism 702. It is our work today to yield our souls to Christ that we may be fitted for the time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, fitted for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to recapture Pentecost. We need to recapture Pentecost. And recapturing Pentecost will bring into our lives power to live a victorious life. Power to witness effectively for Christ. Power to withstand the wiles of the devil. Power to say no to sin. Power to stand through the crisis of the ages. Beloved, I want the latter rain in my life. Will you join me in that desire and in that prayer? And if so, would you stand with me today? Take your hymnal, if you would, and turn to our closing hymn of worship.
268, Holy Spirit, Love Divine. 268. Father in heaven, we thank you for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we plead for the Holy Spirit. We pray for the Holy Spirit. We knock on heaven's door to be the recipients of that highest of gifts that heaven could bestow. May he come in his fullness into our every lives. And may we be changed into the likeness of Jesus the Christ. In his name we ask. Amen.